You are now listening to the Purpose Edits Podcast. You gotta be willing to be vulnerable. You have to have the ability to self-assess, and not everybody has the ability to self-assess. You don't necessarily have to like sweets to be successful in school. You just have to know how to play the game and finesse it and get through it. Welcome to the Perfect Settings Podcast. This is a short yet powerful conversation designed to help you do three things that can ultimately change the trajectory of your life. One, discover your purpose. Two, walk in your purpose. And three, ultimately fulfill your purpose. I am your host, Coach Vic, and I'm joined as always by my lifelong friend, my brother, the educator, Dr. Shane Calhoun. Shane, happy Black History Month, man. How you doing? I thought you were going to say happy birthday for me. And I about to say wrong month, bro. <laughs> nah, I remember when yours is unlike some people that shall go unnamed. Listen, don't, don't start with me. It's funny. Last Sunday, when I, I had skipped through town, I had a lunch with Sabrina and Richie. And um, I got there early. We were supposed to meet at 1. I got there like 12.45. And she got there late. <laughs> so I said, hey, make sure you tell Vic I got there on time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if she's listening, she she didn't pass that on. So she's late telling me that you got there on time, which is a surprise. Funny enough, Nelsia came through here yesterday. Wait, wait, wait. What's today's date? It's not her birthday. Calm okay. Woo. See, see, this this happens to me like, like three or four times a year, like with my anniversary and with you guys' birthday and my wife's birthday. Those four times get me every year. Listen. We have for 20 plus years a system that says remind Shane of our friend's birthday. Don't deviate from the plan now. My bad, dog. I'm just making sure I didn't I didn't miss it. Because you said no, it and I'm you like, didn't oh miss it. yeah, I might have said Valentine's is the easiest way. Her birthday the day before Valentine's. Is exactly. Day before so you Valentine's. know it. Yeah. You just don't well, have no recollection of time. Yeah. So you said she had came through? Yeah, her mom moved to Tampa. So she's around the corner from me. So she uh, came to Tampa to help her mom move some furniture and get settled in. Uh, so we got a chance to uh, catch up for a hot second. And uh, believe it or not, I was late for that. I was I was a little bit, <laughs> a couple minutes late pulling up. That's all right. I just, I just told her I was trying to prolong the time we spent together. There you go. Look, man, it's Black History Month, one of my favorite times of the year. And... You know, we have our platform as two African-American males. Well, what do you call yourself? Do you refer to yourself as Black or African-American? I've never asked. Um, never thought. I think Black is the, the go-to. Um, but, I mean, African, like, some people really get offended when you say they're African-American because they say, I'm not from Africa. But if, and I'm not the biggest reader or history buff or something supposedly we have all descended from africa mm -hmm. so um i'm not offended either way most of the time i'm just saying i'm black and that's it um really i wish i didn't have to identify like imagine if you was pulling out a, um imagine if we lived in a world where you didn't have to identify you're just a human mm. Imagine, only imagine. imagine. Maybe, maybe somebody had a dream about that. Yeah. They wish that you know they were judged by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. Yeah, you whatever. Know? Right? Imagine, like novel idea. And I mean, it's you know, but it is what it is. I'm proud of this black skin, and um, you know, but I, I mean, black is fine with me. African American is fine with me too. 
Yeah, I, for me, I'm it's anonymous. I'm black and or African American. You know, I've had people ask me which is it, which is the correct term, and I often will respond with, "I can't speak for other people. I know how I prefer what my preference is." which is either or, as long as you don't call me out of my name. That's yeah, see, you took the words said. out of my mouth. As long as it don't end with that ER, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> then we good. Then we good. Man, yeah. you know, it's funny. Today's conversation, as you talked about uh, what if we didn't have to identify as race, I think it's going to be right in line with today's topic. But let's do this. Let's do, let's do what blew your mind first. Because which is also in line with the topic. Oh, even super, better. It's super funny. And, and this is actually a caveat for the rest of the conversation. Okay. So my son, who is four, he likes the beginning credits of Disney or Pixar films with the little lamp jumping. I don't know yeah. why. So we have the Disney network. He would always spend time looking at the beginning. So one day I came home and this kid was on YouTube and I guess somebody has done like hundreds of different Pixar entrances, just different themes, different, I mean, and he just goes through them and checks them out. I don't know. So it, it, it occurred to me, if this four-year-old could gravitate and find to the things he liked, what excuse does us able-bodied adults have and get into the things we want. This is a four-year-old now. Mm. Like I, and I'm pretty sure they're not teaching this in school, fam. But he has somehow went down the rabbit hole of finding what he wants on his iPad and what interests him on his iPad. Really my iPad, but his iPad. What, what we got excuses about? Somebody Jesus. help me. I mean, there is no excuse. When you think about it, if... Yeah. if if a four-year-old can navigate on a device that is not just basic, it's not easy yes. to navigate, right? So I remind you, I told you, we started on the Disney network. So he's now on YouTube and he's navigated away from the Cocomelon. He's navigated away from all that other stuff that these kids listen to, which are the things that he's actually getting in school and they use in school. But he's found hundreds of Pixar Disney entrances and just watches them. Amazing. Mm. Mm. But we as adults can't seem to get to what we want in life. All we do is make excuses, man. Ooh, man, if if you if that hit you, you know, if that came down your street, stepped on your toes, we apologize. But sorry, yep. not sorry. Yep. Uh, if, as Rosie Bauckham says, if you can't say amen, you better say ouch. Right. There's only two <laughs> options. All right. So that you're right, that is a good precursor for today's conversation. I wanted to ask you this off the wall, out of left field, oddball question. How is it that earthquakes go ignored? You mean ignored? Ignored, as in don't even notice them. They happen. It didn't exist. Or we act as if it didn't exist. How can an earthquake go as ignored? I think the only thing I could think of is if it wasn't strong enough. Because I think earthquakes are measured on a, a five-point scale. So if you had a 0 .007 earthquake, you may not feel the ramifications of that earthquake. Yep, yep. I'm reading a book called Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. 
great book. Great book if you have not read it. Um, I can't get through the first four chapters because I keep going back and rereading them because they that good. Like every time I re-listen to or reread a chapter, I find a new nugget that I missed the first time. I don't know how long it's going to take me to read this book, but nonetheless, Cast, C-A-S-T-E by Isabel Wilkerson. In this book poses that question, how do earthquakes go ignored? And you hit the nail on the head if they're not strong enough, meaning what we see on the surface is actually the result of a bunch of previous small shifts and earthquakes that started in the Earth's core. They went undetected, unnoticed, seemingly harmless. So therefore, you ignore them. Mm. Until one day, this big earth-shaking event happens that sometimes devastates our lives and the lives of the people that we know, love, and care about, as well as complete and total strangers that we find ourselves empathizing with, right? But nonetheless, those small series of earthquakes, because that's what they were, even though they were unmeasured, and sometimes what, I, what the book goes on to talk about is we sometimes don't have the equipment to measure them. As they mm-hmm. reference historically before, we could actually accurately measure earthquakes. We didn't even have the equipment to measure earthquakes. And sometimes that happens as well. Technology has not caught up to life's advancements. Nonetheless, they posed this question and related it to America and some of the events that have happened historically in life. These small earthquakes, these small tremors that have gone unnoticed, undetected, and even ignored because we either thought that they were harmless, didn't have the equipment to detect them, or couldn't see the damage that they were caused. So as you think about life, as you think about historical, as you think about Black History Month, there have been a number of events that have led up to what we now know as today, what we choose to ignore and become, for lack of a better term, comfortable with, Yeah. right? So CAST, are you familiar with what a CAST system is? No, but I'm gonna get the book, but what is a CAST system? So a CAST system, uh, most people who are familiar with it reference India. Uh, India has a CAST system that has been around for multiple millennia. And basically, it is a ranking system, a hierarchy of the classes, of the people. It's a way to to divide and distinguish who people are. But it uses this example. The book talks about the alphabet, which is just letters that absolutely have no meaning by themselves. Yeah. Yeah, when you put them together. You put them together to form a word, which sometimes still doesn't have any context or significant meaning. It isn't until you put it in a sentence gotcha. and there's context around the around sentence the that sentence. that word give gets meaning, right? So it often, it, it refers to a caste system as that. It is the unwritten rules for how to treat people based on physical markers. Most people say India or think of India with regards to a caste system. There are two other historical uh, uh, countries and places that uses a caste system. The other was Nazi Germany, Mm. right? To separate the people and determine 
how you treat certain people. And then the book talks about America. Mm. It says that racism, this, this Isabel Wilkerson in her studies, she studied caste systems uh, religiously of all uh, the, the locations and, and geographical places. And what she found is that instead of calling it racism here in America, caste may be the more appropriate definition for how we've systematically divided people. Mm. It even goes on to talk about black and white or how we distinguish uh, you know, uh, ethnic groups here. Mm-hmm. Yet neither one of the people who belong to those groups are black or white. There are gradations and shades of different colors. Brown, yeah. mostly for black and African-Americans, right? And white yeah. people, you find shades of pink and, and, and tan and some other shades, right? Neither yeah. one are white. But in a caste system, you have to identify markers physically, outwardly, that people immediately put on poles and say, let's reference the caste system for how to treat those people. Do you believe that with just what I shared, caste is a better description for how we've divided people here in America as opposed to racism? Define caste for me again. Caste, the unwritten rules for how to treat people. I'll go, I'll go this step further. Okay. Caste is the invisible guide for how to speak and process information about other people? Um, I think based on the, the definition and based on where you are now, where we are now, I think the cast idea is applicable and, and, and possible. I could see where it fits. But um, if we're talking specifically about American racism, it was written from it was written from the beginning. Like from the moment we got here, it wasn't we were not equal and laws reflected it. Now it has more unwritten things that are kind of accepting that have become a part of our norm. But I think the foundation of where we are now was written in the beginning. And we're just going to the part of unrooting some of these things. Correct. In the beginning, there were small, undetectable, unmeasurable tremors that occurred that we set in our system that now show up as earthquakes in society, like slavery, yeah. like. But I, I don't know that they were undetected. I think they. At they the were. time, at the time they were because there was no laws governing it saying that it was wrong. Back gotcha. Then, okay, from that about, perspective, then absolutely. Um, I, I would just say ignored. Um, nobody willing to speak up and say, hey, this is not, or let me say nobody. Very few were willing to speak up and say, hey, these, this isn't right here. We probably shouldn't do this. But yes, undetected, um, ignored is, is the term that I would use. But yes, you're right. The book even said, uh, they said nobody was willing to pay the ransom that it would cost to free uh, captured slaves. Yep. That's what it boiled down to. They they talked about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, at one point, he went over to India. He wanted to visit. That was on his bucket list. So he and his wife, Coretta Scott, 
went over to India to visit. And over there in their caste system, they have highborns, they have a middle class, and then they have a group called the untouchables. This is the bottom of the bottom. Yeah, the untouchables. Look that up. What is an, untouch an untouchable in Indian uh, caste system? The short version is this. They are the bottom of the bottom. There is no group lower than the untouchables. And a large part of the caste system is to maintain the purity of the highest race or highest group. So there is no mixing of a highborn with an untouchable. It's illegal. It's against the law in order to maintain the purity. Dr. Martin Luther King, when he visited, he talks about going over there as a pilgrim. This was a big event for him. And so he got uh, met by the prince at the time. They took him around and introduced him to people. People knew who he was because this was at the time when the civil rights movement was going on in America and he was leading the charge in that. Well, they took him to a class and the it was either the principal of the school or, or whoever was giving him a tour introduced him to the class as one of America's untouchables. But they immediately looked down on him. But it was the context they, of the word. They looked down on him based on what they observed that was happening in America, that Black and African-American people were considered and being treated as the lowest class. So they related it to, oh, you're an untouchable over there. You're equivalent to the untouchables here. Untouchable and over they, here. And that's when Dr. Martin Luther King realized, man, you're right. You're right. We are the untouchables of America. That's what was happening. But the question is, are we still untouchables today? Complicated. Depending on how you measure it. So let's get real. How do you feel as a black man, based on your observations and experiences, do you feel like we're still considered the untouchables here? Yes. Me personally, I feel free. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me edit my word. Yeah, we're like going here. We're going yeah. here today. Yeah. Um, I, I love how white people have co-opted the word, the word woke. Um, let's just say that. And not even white people, how uh, conservatives specifically have um, co-opted the word woke. Um, so to answer your question, I feel as though, yes, we are still the untouchables to, the, to a degree, but because of my status and our status, you know, we're somewhat accepted, but we have worked out of it. But I consider myself to be woke to see both sides of the BS to know that I'm still not black enough to get into country clubs. I mean, excuse me, I'm still too black to get into country clubs. Um, and you know, in some parts, I'm too white to go hang out in the hood. You know, depending on who you talk to. So, um, I still think we're in a pretty bad spot overall as a people. Is it better? Absolutely. Um, nothing's absolute. Um, and, and this is where, when I said at the beginning, I think plays into this whole conversation where some would, would say, 
You have all these athletes that are making millions. You had a black president. Racism doesn't exist. And you have the same opportunities as I have. That's bullshit. It is bullshit. Okay. Yes, I can say that we need to stop making excuses for our failures, but I am not dumb enough, naive enough, nor willing to give society, American society, a pass for where we are and some of the BS that I still see and that we still deal with on a very regular basis. On a very regular basis. I had a conversation with a friend of mine and we're kind of talking along lines of this conversation. And he points out historically, even as we were named slaves, we were then divided as well, meaning depending on how dark you were, determined how slave, if you were a field slave. Yeah, if you were a field slave or in the house. They also had slave hands, which were black slaves who were responsible for keeping the other slaves in line, right? This was the lowest. Yeah, the gun line. <laughs> Those who watched the gun line, these were considered the lowest of the low even amongst, you know, slaves at the time. How could you do this to your own people is the phrase that comes to mind. He said, fast forward. Some of our systems are still in place. They just look different. Oh, yeah. Team captains. You brought up professional athletes. What mm -hmm. is a team captain on a, on a team? Is the team captain watching the gun line for mm -hmm. the organization? which as you know, right now in the NFL, Brian Flores is suing the NFL for discrimination and racism of hiring. I saw uh, an interview, um, they were doing NFL Today or something, and it was Jimmy Johnson and um, uh, Michael Strahan, you know, that whole crew. And I think it was Jimmy Johnson was making the point, if you want to see more Black coaches being hired, you have to have more Black GM so that they can make those Black hires. And the response was, why do you have to have black GMs to hire black people? Why can't you just hire the right people regardless of race, color, or creed? Because he's speaking to his, his nepotism within himself. That's how their systems work. So instead of giving us opportunities, they're perpetuating their systems, which may not be to their benefit, but that's how their systems work. And we in turn, sometimes buy into that foolishness. Absolutely. Because in the book where it talks about the untouchables in India, the author was at a conference that had, it was um, a group of Indian, um, Indian Americans, but some were born here, some were born, you know, overseas. But she said that she could observe and tell which groups each person was born into after a while, just from studying because of how they carried themselves how they acted, you would see a highborn re-explaining what an untouchable or lower class person just said, all because the unspoken and unwritten guide that says these people aren't smart, meaning mm -hmm. I need to interpret for you what they just said because it probably didn't make sense. Fast forward, are Black people slay, uh, lazy? Are they dumb? Are they ignorant? Do you often see higher classes, upper classes, different classes, step in to explain 
what is happening and justify, even though the black educated person just articulated very well what they meant and everybody understood it. The unwritten rules, the cast is that. And as I read, as I'm, and I do audiobooks, so as I'm listening to this, there's so much that's tying in that's making sense about our lives and the way things unfold and still happen today. And it honestly made me made me rethink all the progress that it felt like we have made. It hit the reset button to say, man, we haven't made nothing because those unwritten guides are still there still and there. they're strong. Yeah. Yeah. They are strong. Like we battle it every day. You talk about microaggressions. What's a microaggression that you recently received or, or experienced, I should say? Have the you- fun microaggression. Microaggression being the whole premise behind should I let it slide? The, the thing that someone says or does to you that feels slightly racist or uh, biased and you're trying to decipher did that offend me? Should I say something? Should mm. I let it slide? Oh, well, I, I got it. Should I let it slide? Big time for you now that we talked about it, but we, we can get to that um, later. So the, the most recent microaggression, or the one that I seem to get the most often is when people talk about the job that I'm doing at my current school and, and, and the way they put it is, you do such a great job with those kids. Mm. Now, my question is, are you implying that I wouldn't do well in other places with other kids? Or are you implying that those kids are the untouchables of our county, our area, and you are somehow just doing your mother, Teresa over there, doing some miracle work? Those Mm -hmm. kids. Definitely one of those microaggressions that um, drive me up the wall. Do you ever address it? Oh, no. You just, you look, you give it a side eye. Sometimes you may say those kids, huh? Just say thank you. Because you know what I found? Like most of the times they don't even know it. Like the, the my, my favorite type of racism is the racism that they don't understand or they don't that's self-conscious, like they don't even know they're doing it. They call it unconscious bias. Unconscious bias, like that unconscious racism that you just really just did, and you say to yourself, God dang, did he not catch what he just said? Or did she not catch what she just said? Um, that, you know, that's to me the most funny kind um, because that's that unspoken. You know, I, you know, I've said it before in this pod, racism is as American as apple pie, guys. Um, and until we're, we're, we're like willing to confront it, it's here. The, the book talks about these unwritten rules and it uses the reference of an old house. You move into an old house. You, after a, a hard rain, you never go down into the basement. Why? Because you got a strong feeling there's a leak down there, right? You, you got a strong feeling that you're going to uncover some stuff that you don't want to know. So by never going to look, you will never know the problems that need to be fixed. And eventually the foundation, the structure will fall in on you because that's, you that's never did anything. Yeah, that's that whole idea, the whole argument right now with this critical race theory. 
That's exactly it. That's exactly it. If you don't want to look at the leaks and the problems, you just want to put a bucket under the drip and step over that one floorboard that creaks. Eventually, it's going to catch up to you. And I think that that's where we are. So when you talk about just that that microaggression that you described, I'm at a place now where I think it's an, it's more important for me to speak up, but it's also equally important about how I speak up with the goal in mind of raising awareness. Because as a, as a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist, I do know that unconscious bias exists and people don't know about it, right? They don't realize it. Like you said, that it's unconscious that I'm doing it. And it all comes from the caste system of the unwritten words and rules that govern our society. So but now most of us we can't, speak up. Especially in the professional sense. You said we can sh- or can't? Can't. Because we're too busy shucking and jiving for position. And professionally, it's, yo, the craziest story. Had an interview maybe three or four years ago, maybe two, three years ago. I'm not going to say where, to say a big time ACC school. Let's just leave it there. And um, they picked me up from the airport. And somehow we got in a dialogue. And I mentioned a friend from a Facebook friend who happened to be my band director. And I, and I referenced that statement. And the person said, huh, I was wondering how come we had so many mutual friends on Facebook? Which implied to me that this person had been flagging and watching my Facebook. But that was at a time when I was wide open on Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was saying whatever I wanted to say, however I wanted to say it. So to this day, I still believe that I was a bit of a lightning rod for that position, which was the reason why I didn't get the position. And um, I'm okay with it. But I am more mindful now that, and I almost put it on Facebook the other day. Almost, but I said, I'm done with that stuff. I got a shucking job and put on a happy face in order to get into your club or be a part of your team. I guess I ain't going to be a part of the team then because I'm not doing it right now. Yeah. So... Some of us, whereas we would like to call out some of those microaggressions, it's not financially a sound decision. How do you, how do you risk involved. that? There's a risk involved, right? There's a ransom that's got to be paid. And it's always more so about how you say something than what you say, to be quite honest, because at the end of the day, we tend to get triggered by microaggressions emotionally, which last time I checked, most of the time we regret what we say when it's based uh, or centered around an emotional response. We wish we could have taken it back, right? We wish we wish it wasn't in the heat of the moment and we try to take it back and, and sometimes we can't. So I often, for myself, have to take some time, breathe, and then go back and address the microaggression rather than doing it in the heat of the moment. You know, this month, this, this time of year always makes me think about how I wish we celebrated our history, which is also America's history all year round. 
both the good and the bad. It is considered America's history. It happened here in America. Therefore, it is a part of our history and it is facts. It's not made up. And again, I understand critical race theory. I understand how if we actually talk about the facts, how it goes against the ideals of this country, the land of the free, this idea that anyone can make it here, that everybody is considered equal. Critical race theory exposes the truth, the underlying uh, origins of our country. And nobody wants their dirty laundry aired, right? But I do think we still have an opportunity to recognize icons and iconic moments in our history more often and more frequently than just this time of the year or when Juneteenth rolls around or when we lose a historical figure. Yeah, I struggle with this month um, just because of that reason. Like, it's just symbolism. Like, we're gonna, we're gonna, um, we're just gonna celebrate this one period of time or this one month and then back to normal in, 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 in our consciousness. You know what I'm saying? So like, I'm more along the lines of how do we keep the conversation going um, year round? You know, one would say, well, you should just be happy for what you have. Um, you know, I don't know, but I get you. I recently connected with uh, the president of the NAACP up in one of the Chicago chapters. I think it's DuPage County. And he and I kind of had this conversation. Believe it or not, he... Uh, he was, if you saw um, the autobi the autobiography or the biography on uh, Fred, uh, Fred Hampton, yeah, he was one of the kids that they served. He got to see those guys in person. He got to see when all of that happened. Mama oh, Hampton, wow. he said, used to feed him. And so he's got this collection of historical artifacts and books and resources that I asked him, I said, start sharing that with me because I think that that's where it starts with self-educating, self-awareness. You want to you wanna put an end to, to some of the unconscious bias, the, the microaggressions, the, the you insert whatever injustice you want. Start with educating yourself. Yourself, yeah. So that you can then raise awareness in others of all colors and creeds. Like you said, I wish we didn't have to identify by race, but rather by being a human being. But we got a long way to go before we get there. Man, this was a dope conversation. And I appreciate you going on this journey with me. This is not an easy topic to dissect. And there's so much more to it, right? If we peel back these onions. But I think this is a good stopping point. What you think? Yeah, we good, we good bro. All right. Let's do this. Let's close out with a quote. And we're going to close out with one of my favorite quotes by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and he talks about the intersectionality of men and the responsibility to one another. And he did a commencement speech at Oberlin College. And in that, he talked about whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can't be all that I ought to be until you are all that you ought to be. And you can't be all that you ought to be until I become all that I ought to be. This is the inherited structure of reality. This is what our responsibility is, is to become all that we ought to be, as they say, 
Rising tides raise all ships. Not just this month, but every month, we got a responsibility to help one another elevate. We got to learn to live life on purpose. And if my four-year-old nephew can find what he wants on YouTube, then I believe that we as a society and as a people can find exactly what we want. It just take us sitting down and putting in a little bit of effort. Yeah. All right, people. As always, we appreciate you rocking with us. It's been a dope show, dope episode. We love the engagement and attraction. Keep sharing it. Keep letting people know Purpose Addicts podcast exists. Make sure you follow on Spotify so you can get alerted when new episodes come out and be looking for some bonus content every week. Man, as always, go live life on purpose. We out. I'm winning for